Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Nobody ever bought a pair of pillows and cycled home with them on the handlebars. We're going to come together. We want our voices heard. We want that station manned. There's only so many hits and kicks you can take when you're in business, whether you're a hairdresser or a restaurant. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Oh, God, I'm looking at this. We're going to have a lot to do today. We have a lot to do on this beautiful, beautiful Friday morning. Isn't it just lovely out there? Wouldn't it be nice now if that stayed down for the weekend? I don't think it will somehow, but that is lovely. Really nice. 0818969696, the number. The text to WhatsApp 0833969696, and your email opinion at 96vm.ie. Lots of stuff to come back to between now and midday. We will come back to regulation of dogs, particular XL bullies. We'll come back to that topic. It's always one that fires up the conversation. We'll come back to minimum wage, the changes in minimum wage. We had a conversation yesterday with Sarah whose daughter's working in a supermarket and she's been paid eight euro an hour under the legislation because her daughter is 17. That's what her boss is allowed to pay her. A reduced rate of the minimum wage because of her age. Sarah thinks that's slave labor. We'll also return to Mount Oval. I got an email uh, from someone in Mount Oval with regard to what had happened on Halloween night and I didn't get to it yesterday and I do want to get to it today. And much more besides, I have the author of a book, a book which sustained me through four days and nights in the South Infirmary when you spend long time on your own and as you get better from whatever ails you, you you have a lot of time on your hands. And I spent three or four nights with a wonderful, wonderful book um, which is kind of a potted history of Ireland to the eyes of journalist Justine McCarthy. I'll chat with Justine later on this morning. Now, I have a very, very special guest um, to talk to in a moment. It's a month on now from the start of this conflict in Gaza. It becomes more horrifying by the day. It's the latest in many, many decades of conflict between Israel and Palestine and Gaza and the Strip and all that and you you know yourself the story is as complicated and as layered as any story you care to talk about but I have a very special guest in a moment who has a very deeply personal story to tell us but here's something throw this out there if you're a parent of a teenager 
and they may be going to a teenage disco at the weekend or they'd be going to a teenage disco at any point over the next few weeks and as we head in towards Christmas there'll be a rake of them on up and down the country there's one company that organises them called Rev good company organises great events for teenagers up and down the country they have posted a warning on their social media in the last few days and when I read it first of all I had to check uh, whether they were actually right and they are teenagers go to discos we all did it teenagers go to discos they pair off they snog they go down behind the wall of the community centre it happens you can't stop it it's part of being 15, 16 whatever it is but of course in recent years they've all got phones and they've all got Snapchat they've all got WhatsApp and they've all got this, that and t'other they've all got stuff that we don't even know exists half the time but you will know because you'll have heard the ads on the radio and the television over the last few months. It is now a crime to post a video or a picture of somebody online without their consent. Uh, rightly so. And that was set up for revenge porn and that kind of thing. If you if you broke up with an ex and you have pictures of that ex and you share them, that's a crime. If you even threaten to share them. That's a crime, and you'd have heard the ads. But what you might not know as a parent, and what I didn't know until I had a look into this, is at these teenage discos, they'll take pictures of each other, snogging, you know, lobbing the gob, chawing the face off each other, whatever you care to call it yourself. We all did it, so let's not be hypocrites here. But they take pictures, or they might take videos, and they'll put them on Snapchat. Or they might put them around in WhatsApp, as they do, or whatever platform they use. That is a crime. It is now a crime to do that. And you may not know that, and they certainly may not know that. Rev have issued a strong statement saying that a number of individuals have been recorded and recording attendees to their events kissing, and then put it on social media. They've warned that you can't do this anymore. And they stress it is against the law to video anything like this without consent. Just to record them and even threaten to, to share it or even think about sharing it is a crime. Um, WhatsApp, to put it on WhatsApp is a crime. To put it on Snapchat is a crime. To put it on Facebook is a crime. And Team Rev have said that they, they, they will, those people, anyone filmed like that, anyone shared like that has a right to go to the guards, uh, even if you threaten it, even if you think, even if you take a picture or a video of two of your friends snogging, that's a crime. The it, it, it's very, very fraught with danger now. It's a form of bullying. They've asked anybody that's taken videos to immediately delete them, to take them off all platforms, and if it continues to happen, they will have to ban mobiles at. Their events. It's a last resort. They don't want to do it. But security will throw you out now. If you're caught taking these pictures or videos, they will call your parents and send you home. So please, if you have youngsters who are going out this weekend, and my youngsters are out of the teenage disco years now, thanks, Pete. But if there are teenage discos on, 
this weekend and your youngster is going to them, would you please have a conversation with them? Say, look, you might not know this. You might think it's harmless. You might think it's a bit of fun. It isn't. It's a crime now. And you can get in a lot of trouble for it. So maybe have that conversation with them. Um, I just wanted to put it out there before we get into any other conversation. Because if I don't, I'll forget. That's me. Get it off my chest or it'll disappear from it. 0818-96-96-96. Now, Dr. Izeldin Aboulesh is a doctor born in Palestine, born in Gaza. And he has a number of high-profile achievements, shall we say, to his name. Dr. Aboulesh was the first doctor from Palestine to work in an Israeli hospital. He worked at a very high-profile Israeli hospital at the Sroka Medical Center and also at the Sheba Medical Center. This was after the takeover of the, the Gaza Strip in 2007. And in fact, after that takeover, he had free passage between Gaza and Israel to work as a medical doctor. He was born and raised in Gaza, in Jabalia, actually. He studied medicine in Egypt, uh, specialised in London in obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, He has been in the past a guest of the Kinsale Peace Project because Dr. Abolish's life has been tinged with the most incomprehensible tragedy. Um, His three daughters were killed by Israeli tank fire. He subsequently wrote a book called I Shall Not Hate, A Gazan Doctor's Journey on the Road to Peace and Human Dignity. Dr. Abolish lives and works now in Toronto in Canada and it's from there he joins me. Dr. Isildin Abolish Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. And I would like to thank you and the team for giving me the chance to speak to the Irish people. And in particular, you are broadcasting from Cork, a place which I visited, which I feel the connection. I have been to Conseil when I met. God bless his soul and that he rests in peace after he made the peace. And I learned from him, Mr. Martin McGuinness, that from that moment when he said to me, violence will never be met with violence and only just collaboration, partnership and to recognize the freedom, rights and justice for all that we can move together. And I admire the Irish people for their stand for the Palestinian cause. It was the last time I spoke to Martin McGuinness, the last time I interviewed Martin McGuinness was when he was in Kinsale for that event. And as you say, he has passed away since. Your own family tragedy, you lost your daughters, all of them. My daughters. What happened to them, doctor? What happened to them? It was 16th of January, quarter to 5 p.m. when the Israeli, on Friday also, that when we speak about the Black Friday, it's a Friday, when an Israeli tank shell hit my house, killing three of my daughters, one niece, and severely wounding others. 
and there was nothing to justify the killing of these children. And when there is war, it's not about the militants and the, the, the soldiers who are going to kill and to be killed. It's about women and the children. These lovely, beautiful daughters that I raised them, to be human, to advocate for humanity, I, I am proud of them, even in their life and in their death. And they are not killed. They are only in a better place. Bisan was 20 years old. She was about to graduate from the university. Mayar, who planned to be a medical doctor, to follow the path. I started and I continued. Aya, who was 14, and my niece Noor, who was 17, I raised them to be human, full of passion, of humanity, to send them to meet with Israeli girls. I learned and found how similar are we, and that's what we need from the leaders in this world to understand and to learn from our children. It was 2009 this happened, wasn't it? Yes, my daughters were killed 2000. So that's what we need to learn, that we are similar, we are equal, and we need to advocate for equality, justice, freedom, and Children are a priority in life because children, they are the present, the future, and they are the hope. And with the current situation and what is happening in Palestine and the attacks there, it's not about killing Hamas or militants. It's about killing the childhood, killing the future, killing the hope in the hearts, in the minds of people. It's time to stop it and to think for a second, is this the right way? It is not the right way. It's a futile. We tried it many, many, many times. <laughs> it's a futile, and it only adds more bloodshed, more hatred, more pain, more suffering. To widen the gap between us, it leads to extremism. It's time for a rational voice to recognize the rights of a freedom and to understand that the Palestinians' freedom matters Mm. And it's equal to the Israel's freedom and life. The, just the other day, oh. on Tuesday, I became really afraid to touch my cell phone. I go to sleep thinking what will happen. It's a nightmare for us as Palestinians because I know the streets, I know the place, I know the people that I see them, either friends, neighbors, people that I know, I know the houses, just to hear these people, they became just numbers. Even they are asking, there is shortage of coffins in Gaza Strip. In, in, in total, I think you've lost 22 family and extended family members in this conflict. They shelled the house of my sister. I was worried trying to connect with them. Even I can't connect because they are disconnected from Internet. They are disconnected from phones. They are the collective punishment and they are cut from electricity, from water, from medication. Even the air, even the air they breathe, it's polluted. That's the world in which we live. My nephews, my nieces were killed for nothing they did. 
One of them graduated from the School of Medicine. One of of them is an engineer. The other is a physiotherapist. Children, women. What did they do in life? They have died in this conflict. This conflict. It's not conflict. It's atrocity. It's a crime. It's a genocide against humanity. Because war... What is not to be documented? We are not supposed to speak about war. War is to be prevented. Yes. It's about innocent human beings, and that's what we need to speak about it. It's about women and the children. Mm-hmm. Till now, about 9,000 Palestinians were killed, and about 2,500 women. It's about 70% of them women and the children because Gaza Strip, it's the most densely populated area in the world. And 50% are below the age of 16. It will be the most densely populated with orphans, with disabled people. There is no homes. It's full of pain, of blood, of tears. Honestly, personally, I cry blood for my people, for the level that the humanity we reached. And no one is thinking to stop this atrocity. I cry to the world. I appeal to all to think for a second as a human, not to politicize, to say it must be stopped now. Our, our minister, Minister Michal Martin, issued a very strong statement in the last number of days condemning in particular the bombing of the refugee camp and he said it was completely disproportionate. He said, and I quote his words, Israel's right to defend itself must be within the parameters of international humanitarian law and he said we need a ceasefire and a significant scaling up of humanitarian access to get vital supplies to civilians. We cannot wait any longer. I'm quoting from a statement. Also, our Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, described what happened the other day as completely disproportionate. Those are the strongest words of condemnation to come from any Western leader since this began. You You were pleased to hear them, which is why you wanted to speak to me here in Michal Martin's hometown. Thank you so much. It's good that I hear this from them, but we need to walk the talk. We need to have action. We need to translate it into action, into reality, and to endorse our statements. And that's the challenge to our world, to have order to transform our talks into walks and to act. And that's what is needed. It's urgent today better than tomorrow, because there is a price for it. It's a human life. It's about the children. It's hope. And as you mentioned, disproportionate. And even Israel has the right for self-defense. But what about the Palestinians? Do they have the right to be free, to be independent, their children to be raised in a safe, a free environment? Children, the Palestinian children, they are not allowed to grow up. When you ask a Palestinian child, and I am sure, in Ireland, you ask children what do you want to be in the future. They will say, I want to be a medical doctor, I want to be an engineer, I want to be, I want to be. But still, children's answer, we are not allowed to grow up. 
So I appeal, I say to them, allow our children who are our life, our hope, our future to grow up and to participate in humanity and to promote humanity in our world. Mihal and Mr. Bradker have spoken up. They have spoken up. What would you have them do now? What would you like them to do now? I would like them to put the pressure to put the pressure on the international community, on the United States, the European Union, all of these, they can do more to immediate, to call for immediate ceasefire. And this, honestly, this will be helpful to Israel. It saves Israel from its leaders' destructive acts. I, I wanted to come to that because President Netanyahu has insisted there will be no ceasefire because if there's a ceasefire... Hamas will thrive. That's his view. He's strident in it. It's not, you know, it's about a Palestinian people. It's not about Hamas. It's about innocent people. But he is not willing because he wants to keep surviving on this war and the fear he created and the divide he created within the Israeli community. He is the one who doesn't believe in bringing the Palestinians and Israelis and to put an end. And I will say it, he is not fighting for the interest of the Israelis. He is fighting for his own political agenda and his own survival to stay there in power. And this is destructive to the Israelis and, of course, to the Palestinians. For this man, the world has to stand up to stop him from this destructive act. Lastly, uh, Dr. Izzeldin, our thoughts are with you. Our thoughts are with those you have lost. You were clearly in, in pain, in a lot of pain. Where do you find the strength to speak up like this? Of course, you know, I am a person of faith. Sometimes I lose faith in the humanity. And that's what happened at the time when my daughters were killed. I lost faith in the humanity who are watching what is happening as they are watching it now without stopping it. So I have faith. I directed my faith to God. God give me the strength, the patience, the wisdom to move forward. My life experience, my life as a Palestinian is a war. We are fighting just to survive. We are alive today, but we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And what can we do to make a difference in the future? You know, in life we have a priority. The priority is not the past. Mm. The past we have to learn from the past. The priority is our present and the future. Let our children, Palestinians and Israelis, to feel that their life matters to all and that they can enjoy the freedom, equality and justice side by side. What is inspirational to hear is that with all you have been through is the hope in your voice. I will keep that and I believe for it. It's been a privilege to speak with you, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Izzardin Abulesh speaking to me this morning from Toronto. Sometimes there are just no responses. No words that will do, are there?
Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Listen. Listen. to your favorite shows on the go. Download the Cork's 96FM app. Yeah, we will podcast that interview with uh, Dr. Abelish uh, after the show, very quickly after the show. Just a remarkable man. A man who's lost so much. His daughters, his niece, 22 members of his family and extended family since 2009. He's lost people in this latest atrocity, as he says, rather we didn't say conflict, we say atrocity. And still he's a man of peace, and still he's a man of talk rather than war, as they say, what, George, oh, not war, war. He's a, he, he's a man who's impressed the hell out of me this morning. Um, and as I said, we will, um, we will podcast that conversation later in the day. Kate says, I like Joe Biden, but the American approach is completely one-sided. They can't possibly know where the Hamas tunnels are, no matter how good their intelligence is. A lot of this must be guesswork. A lot of Israelis are very, very decent people whose families were encouraged to go there after World War II in a traumatized state. and They were assured things would settle down with the Palestinians and the problems would be worked out. What Biden and Netanyahu are doing now is completely against what those Israeli people want. It just creates hatred. Kate, you, you, that is a, a fantastic comment. I've been had the privilege of being in Israel two or three times, just on short visits, mostly to do with work. And I had a chance to meet the ordinary people, if you want, of Israel. Um, they're gorgeous people. And if you take Dr. Abelesh, born in Gaza, educated in Egypt delivered babies for Israeli women in an Israeli hospital. This is a man of peace. This is, this is the man of total peace and kindness and, and love. Despite what he's been put through. It's, it, he's a remarkable individual. Paul says, I don't control the Hamas attack. It was terrible. But the sanction attacks that you know will have very disproportionate civilian deaths is unspeakable. They're killing tens of Hamas for hundreds of thousands of civilians. They have to find another way. Yeah, you had more in your voice, Lord Paul, but that's, it wasn't very very clear, but thank you for that. 0818 96, 96, 96 and to remind ourselves, it is four weeks this weekend, the early hours of tomorrow morning, four weeks ago, that all of this flared up. Yesterday I was talking to Sarah, uh, in the context of the minimum wage, minimum wage at the moment, as you know, is 11 euros and 30. It'll go up to 12 euros and 70 uh, from the 1st of January. The ESRI did some research for the low pay commission into the number of people who are actually on the minimum wage. And it's quite a small number of workers are on the minimum wage or below it, in fact. Below it, you might say, well, how can you do that? Well, if someone is 17 or 18 or 19, there are lower rates of the minimum wage and that prompted Sarah's call her daughter's working full time in a supermarket at the moment and she's being paid 8 euro an hour her daughter her daughter is 17 and that is the legal minimum wage for her daughter who is 17 Sarah was suggesting that that is a form of slavery that it's slave labor 
It's a broad conversation. Danny Collins is the owner of the Boston Bar in Bantry and, of course, uh, a county councillor. Danny, the minimum wage going up on the 1st of January to 1270. We know from the ESRI that many, many people are paid more than the minimum wage just as, as standard. But there's a pushback in business against any increases. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good morning to your listeners from lovely Bantry Bay. But, um, yeah, look, I'll be quite honest, PJ. I think this increase is too too large, to be quite honest. Like, this is a 140 extra increase. And, like, for customers to, or for work, um, owners of businesses to take this, like, they'll have to pass it on somewhere. And who'll suffer for this is to, down to the customer, be quite honest. But, like, um, I do know, staff, what you got, they do deserve good wages and whatnot. And I always respected that over the years. I'm 25 years in business myself, and I've never had a staff member come to me. Well, like, if they come up to me and say to me, Danny, they want a pay rise, I'd consider it. And I'd say, well, nine times out of ten, I have said yes. And, mm-hmm. like, well, look, what you call it? This 140 increase, you have to take it into context as well. Like, this like this is on, on top of the increase from January 2023 that we took. And, um, like, in reality, like, this will be 220 in just, just, um, in a, in a one year, in a, in a one year term, like, so, mm. like, you know what, who's going to suffer here are the people who will be the customers, whether it's the pub or the shop or whatnot, they will suffer because they will see the, the rise of, um, goods. I talked to a lot of business people, Danny, about this over the course of a given year, and they all seem to say the same thing. Oh, I've no problem with paying someone a decent wage. I've no problem with paying someone even a minimum wage. But, but that's too high. You either have a problem with the minimum wage or you don't. Well, like, none of my staff, be quite honest, I can say, but they're, they're over the minimum wage. Good. Well, there you go. You like, see, that's what the ESRI yeah. found, that the number of people yeah, actually I, on a minimum wage is quite small. Like, well, yes, I know this. It's like this, PJ. I, I spoke to a fellow here one day inside my bar. This is no word of a lie. He's on 13 euros an hour, he taught me, and he's happy with it. And, like, he says to me, Danny... If the wages go up to twelve seventy, some young fella can come in, what you call it, and get twelve seventy, thirty cents less than me. And I'm five, six, seven, eight years, whatever how long he's working there and he's getting thirteen years of hour, he's happy getting it. And then some other lad can come in twenty years old, have no experience whatsoever. And that's a lot to do with like this guy has a lot of experience in the job that he works at. He's happy with his thirteen euros an hour. He'll have to turn around to his boss now. He, like it puts him in a situation, he's gonna turn around to his boss and say Boss, I need 14, 15 euros. If Johnny or Mary is coming in there and they're getting 12, 70 an hour, I, I surely deserve another euro and 50 more myself. So isn't like, that, isn't that the skills of management, though, Danny? Isn't that the skills of management to, to be able to deal well, with I those conversations? It, yes, it's, it's skills of management. But like, like, it, like, I'd never make a manager, fella. I'd never make a manager. I'd never be manager of anything because I couldn't do that. But that's the skills yeah, of management. At the, at the moment, like you just say a person who has three staff members... And if they they have to if they're going up the full um ex of the one forty an extra an hour that's one hundred and sixty three euros eighty a week that's going to cost the 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 business person themselves so like he or she has to pass that on to someone else because as you know like uh, everything is rising everything from electricity uh, like all our like products there even this year now guinness went up again um there uh, two three months ago we here in bantry we took the hit so far but like i know like in the new year we we we, we can't but um 
Look, it's just just things are spiraling too much. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and, two and, and you know, I'm sure you know, Danny, yeah. that there are those yeah. who would tell you, and they are the proponents of the living wage, that that minimum wage, even when it goes up to twelve seventy in January, is still about a euro, if not more, less than the living wage. I know, but what you call like, it's it's just going too fast, PJ, and it's like as I said, it's two twenty in a year. That's it's not one forty; it's two twenty in a year that we, we we've taken a hit for. So look, um, I don't know where it's going to stop because I all I can see happening, and that's what people are telling me that they'll have to close their doors because otherwise they 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 they, they won't be able to um take um what you call it, try to imply stuff or whatnot. Like things are just have gone. Out of, you you come into any business in in Bantry last, last night, a pub or whatnot, you won't get more than seven or eight inside any bar in Bantry last night. Like, yeah. and if you're paying someone um, an hourly rate, actually, it isn't worth it. Like, open your door. So, like, you know, that's what's going to happen. Like, and that's what I'm afraid will happen. And it's not okay. pubs alone. I'm, I'm talking about different shops, whether it's a flower shop, a coffee shop, or uh, what you say, a clothes shop. All these will suffer, and that's what I, that's what I'm afraid will happen. People were warning yesterday, some commentators, that it'll mean hours will be cut. Would you just think that would happen? Yes. Yes, what you got to, I even thought of it myself. I, I do have young lads who come on there the weekends and whatnot, do a few hours, you know, for, um, Saturday, Saturday night. I think you what you got to, we'll have to cut them back, like, you know what I mean? And I, I've, I've spoken to other publicans as well, and that's the same same thing. And, like, the, these are lads who, this Monday is for going to college, their, their, their accommodation, whatever. You know, their, their food over for the week and maybe a bit of entertainment, entertainment, they're going to suffer down the line, to be quite honest. Okay. Danny, thank you. Um, best of luck to everyone in Bantry. Councillor Danny Collins, who is the owner of the Boston Bar. In lovely Bantry in West Cork, where it must be a really gorgeous morning this, this Friday. There's a point that a lot of business people make, though. They'll say to you, well, I pay more than the minimum wage anyway, which is fine and good to hear. I pay more than the minimum wage and in fact, the findings of that ESRI survey bore that out. Most people are paid more than the minimum wage. But when the minimum wage goes up, my staff are going to come to me and say, hey, I need a pay rise now because here I am on, as Denny uses the example of someone on 13 euro an hour, a newcomer walking in off the street will be titled at 12.70. So the guy on 13 euro is kind of going, you know, I could do a, with an old raise there. Bus. You can see his point. You can see his point. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. If you take the supermarkets, says this message on the phone. One group turned over a billion last year. I know a lot of publicans or hairdressers are finding it hard. If the chains created a policy for all their stores, the market would adjust. It does when they demand very expensive signs or deli counters. The key to this, it must be centrally. Organized. Not entirely sure I see your point. Although, come back to Sarah yesterday, and that podcast is available. Her daughter's friend, who's the same age as the daughter, works in another branch of the same supermarket and is on the next stage up the minimum wage ladder. So there you go. Mary is over on two. I'll go before the break. I think I will. Yeah, I'm just watching my time here, lads. Mary, good morning. Good morning. Your thoughts on I, this? Yeah, listen, the minimum wage, like, as I said, between 16, like, we all know the children's allowance has gone up now for children. So if you're 
child has a part-time job or whatever and they're in secondary school, they're getting the 70%, whatever, of the minimum wage. But the parents are also getting children's allowance, which is an extra, you know, it is for the child, essentially. And I also feel as well that, you know, giving, it encourages maybe schoolwork can suffer because of the fact if it is more financially lucrative to work, they will work more hours at the expense maybe of their schoolwork and things like that. So, you know, I think like it can seem a fortune, I suppose, to younger students. Like you see, feel like that you're getting an awful lot of money into your hand, which as we all know, as you get a little bit older, you realise... It's not really a lot at all. It's not a lot at all. And I suppose people would be maybe settling from it, or, you know what I mean, settling maybe for lower paid work or something like that because of the fact if you enter it younger, it seems adequate. Whereas as you get older, you might have better... Aspirations. Address that point that, that Sarah made a couple of times when we were talking yesterday. She said that to pay her daughter, who's 17, that to pay her eight euro an hour is slave labour. Um, I don't know. You're getting, like, kind of thing, I suppose, if, if you don't go to, you're getting life experience, you're getting work experience. And, you know, like when you look at all the unpaid work that people do, mm. you know, in the home and things like that, that isn't recognised as work at all. Yeah. You know, like kind of thing, where do you, where do you, I would not think that eight euro for a 16 year old child is slave labour. Depending now on the conditions, I don't agree if they're working anti-social hours. It's a fairly well-known supermarket, which we've agreed not to name, but it's a fairly well-known supermarket and and the conditions wouldn't be bad, put it that way. Although uh, Sarah was also uh, unhappy that her daughter gets an hour for lunch, which is not paid. Well, nobody's paid for lunch hours. Yeah. Nobody's paid for lunch. That kind of thing, you know what I mean? If you if you add up your, you know, 40-hour week or 35-hour week, you're not paid for your lunch. In a lot of places, you can take a shorter lunch and finish early. Yeah. But obviously, if you take a half an hour for lunch and finish at half at four instead of five o'clock, you're not paid between half at four and five o'clock either. I see. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That's, not, that's standard. I don't think any job pays people for lunch hours. If you actually... Cut, you know, if you count up your nine to fives or whatever. Yeah. Well, I can't remember the last time I took a lunch hour. I just grabbed something at yeah. my desk, and that's what most of us do here, do you know. But that's the nature of how we work. Mary, thank you very much adding to that conversation. Sarah suggesting that eight euros for a 17 year old is slave labour and an hour for lunch that she's not paid for. She suggests that's slave labour. Mary has another take. I'd like to know yours. 0818969696. And. Um, Danny, down at the Boston Bar, said that the minimum wage is going up too fast. He pays more than the minimum wage, uh, but he still says it's going up too fast. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. 
Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. For fantastic quality and great taste guaranteed. Choose Griffin's Potatoes. Herpings and Roosters. Cork's 96FM. Mention to you once again that the Cork and Kerry Food Market returns to Cork City Hall this weekend, Saturday 4th, Sunday 5th, November, a showcase of the very best in artisan and local food from across Cork and Kerry. And all besides, we will be talking later in the morning to Chef Nell McCarthy about a life in food and how it means so much to her and particularly why she says restaurants, every restaurant up and down the country needs to do more than just give us fish and chips. I love fish and chips. I'll have to talk that one through with her. 0818 96 96 96. We were chatting yesterday about dogs, in particular XL bullies. The XL bully has been banned now in Britain from the 1st of uh, January after a number of attacks. In fact, in 23 attacks, fatal attacks from dogs, in the last three years, XL bullies were responsible for 12 of those fatal attacks. Those are just statistics from the UK. In Ireland, we've had a couple of incidents. We had two people taken to hospital from Waterford last weekend. They were attacked by an XL bully. Then a woman in Wexford attacked by an XL bully. And, of course, we remember the case of Alejandro Mizan, who was attacked by an XL bully in Enniscorthy. Did a terrible damage to the poor boy. And indeed, another person was attacked by the same dog just days before. I also spoke yesterday with Catherine Griffin of snoutandabout.ie, who doesn't believe in banning dogs and believes that restrictions actually don't, don't help. In fact, she would argue that there are 32 years of data that shows that restrictions on dog breeds don't reduce dog bites at all. And she would suggest... That government legislation should be based on facts and data, not on opinions or emotions. And she said that, in fact, it's down to the breeding. It's down to the owner. It's down to the trainers. It's not down to the dogs. And she spoke very passionately about that. And, in fact, you can find that on our podcasts. Um, also mentioned Staffies. Staffies are one of the restricted brands in our breeds in Ireland. There's a list of ten of them, Staffies being being one of them. Um, and I mentioned that my daughter, being a veterinary nurse who adores dogs of all shapes and sizes and breeds and species, she has a big soft spot for Safis. She says they're sweethearts. Um, Dee, you would agree with her. Good morning. Oh, 100%. Really? I was a groomer for 10 years and right. I've groomed many, many Safis. All they want to do is lick you. Really? Yeah. Honestly, I've groomed a bull, an ex-bully. Mm-hmm. And he, all he wanted to do was lick your face. Yeah. He was a sweetheart. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The last the Staffy I saw was a, in, in a little puppy, um, yeah. only about 17 weeks old, was in my barber's shop, actually. Yeah. In under the chair. What a gorgeous little thing. Gorgeous. But you know the thing is, the, and you mentioned the XL bully, and I'm sure they are sweethearts, but they, like, it's a the head is a ball of muscle and bone and if you look at the statistic from the UK where you have 23 23 people dead from dog attacks in the last 3 years and 12 of them involved XL bullies there's a case to be made that that breed is not safe to have in the average home 
I wouldn't agree. Would you not? No. They're not born thinking, oh, I'm going to attack someone. It's They're taught it. They have to be taught everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I I blame the, the, the owners 100%. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. dog is... You can make any dog cross. Any dog. In the 10 years I've been grooming, I've been bitten badly twice. And both times it was a Westie. Now, I don't like Westies, to be honest. No. <laughs> Me nippy, neither, but nippy little dibbles. Like I, but, like. I mean, they've got a ferocious bite, too. One yeah. fellow went straight through my nail. <clears throat> yeah, it was painful. And another one bit me on my, on my face. Yeah, yeah. So, any dog can be cross. It's up to the owner. Mm. I've we, seen we, it where I live. Young fellas, 13, 14, 15, with staffies, and they're out in the greens, and they're holding them back, and they're going, Gee, go on, go on, go on. But there's the thing, it is up to the owner. Okay, let's, let's, totally. accept, let's accept that, and that's what the, the behaviour experts would say. It is yes. up to the owner. So, oh, totally. one great way to make sure that a dog doesn't get into the hands of a dodgy owner is not to have the dog available. Exactly. No, but they should, they, it's a 16-year-old can't have control of a dog whatever. They should make that 18. 16 is still too young. Mm. Well, they're not supposed to be. No, they're not, but they are. Yeah, they, yeah. You see, we need more dog wardens. They need yeah. to follow up on the legislation. They don't. Yeah. I have loads of people ring me say they have staffies that are gorgeous yeah. and all this and... and, and Absolutely. XL bullies that are beautiful, gentle yeah. creatures. I, I still... <laughs> listening to a British yeah. phone-in show the other day... And the female presenter was saying, yes, they're absolutely beautiful, yeah. but they can squash your head in between those jaws in oh, seconds. Two, in two seconds. Yeah. But it's, it's, they're cautious. They have to be. They're yeah. not born wanting to bite your head off. No, I'll accept that. I'll absolutely yeah. accept that, Dee. Yeah. Um, yeah. my, my daughter would slap me across the head myself <laughs> if I didn't accept it. Absolutely, I accept it. it but, should... the, but the point is, if they're not on the market to be taught aggression, then yeah. we, we take away the problem, don't we? Yeah. They should be careful who they're selling them to. They're yeah. not a family. yeah, they're a family dog. They're absolutely fantastic with kids. But I've seen um, an 18-year-old with an ex-bully, and he could hardly control us. Yes. Should they have ball and muscle the problem. A ball of muscle and bone. And then you wonder, <sighs> wouldn't you? I'll get in trouble for this even before I bring the words to my head. What 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 kind of a parent puts a dog like that into the hands of a fourteen exactly, or fifteen year old? Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks be to God, I thought you were going to come down to have me. No, no, I agree with no no. They they they're allowed at sixteen, but I think that's still too young. They can't control the dog. Mm. All right. Dee, thank you. I, I agree with you on Westies. I, I don't like Westies. Don't like them. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> Nippy little... And you know what I don't like? I hate them. I'm sorry, now I do. Peaks. Pekingese. Horrible, yappy little... Blackers. The minds are mine. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion mine with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM. Right, a lot to do. Like I said, a bit of pushback on the minimum wage discussion. Uh, a lot of people out there believe that A, the minimum wage is too low as it is, and that B, 
companies or businesses could afford to pay much more. They just don't want to. And John in particular says I should name where Sarah's daughter's working so that we could boycott the store. Uh, unfortunately, John, the problem is I can't do that. If I did that, I would be in a lot of trouble because the store isn't breaking the law. They're perfectly within their legal rights to pay Sarah's daughter what they're paying them. But I'll come back to those comments and more. Uh, 0818969696. I nearly got myself in trouble yesterday morning and it was my forgetfulness that kept me out of it. I mentioned that yesterday, from yesterday, if you have a father in your name, the state body must respect that in communicating with you. If you're a Kiran, uh, like the storm that the British can't pronounce, or or a Queeveen, like the goalkeeper that the British can't pronounce. Um, or if you're an Orla, or a Sean. Sean, you're entitled to your A fodder, unless you spell it with a U or a W. Um, and Orla. Now, I nearly made a mistake. I nearly made a mistake about Orla with an O fodder, and Orla without an O fodder. I'll come back to that because I didn't make the mistake because I forgot to go back to it. Intrigued, aren't you? Good. I like to keep you in a bit of intrigue. But I've wanted to talk to this lady for a few weeks ever since the book came in. And then I found myself in hospital for a few days. And you know when you're in hospital and you're over the initial pain and you're settled and you're rested and all of that but the doctor is saying look we need to keep you in for another couple of days just to make sure that there's no infection just to make sure that the swelling goes you know yourself so there I was in the south infirmary for three or four days and I had the rugby on my laptop I had music on my phone but I damn all else except a couple of books and I picked up a book called An Eye on Ireland written by a woman that I've I've read I've read her for 30 years shall we say I speak of Justine McCarthy one of Ireland's best known writers written for many many newspapers uh, over the years and most importantly Justine abandoned woman good morning Good morning, TJ. I hope you're fully recovered after your time in hospital. I am. I had a little accident at home and once all the pain and the swelling was underway, I was sitting there for three days and I picked up your book and it flew. The time flew. So I thoroughly enjoyed your book <laughs> to start with. Um, it's a collection of your written work over the years and then the introduction by yourself. But I would have classed it as a kind of a, if you like, one person's take on the last 30 years of Irish history. I think you have it in a nutshell. That, that was the whole idea of doing the book, that uh, I was privileged enough to have worked as a journalist throughout the most, I would say, transformative decades uh, of the state. And uh, I think I sort of grew up alongside the state mm. myself and um, so it, the, the book really starts uh, in 1990 with the uh, inauguration of Mary Robinson as president, the first woman president of Ireland. And to me, that really was a turning point. Um, it was the moment when Ireland actually turned on its axis mm. from being a very insular, grey, uh, monocultural uh, country with a lot of unemployment, a lot of kind of social intolerance, 
inward-looking, a lot of poverty and emigration, to becoming an outward-looking, far more tolerant, understanding, nicer country to mm. live in. Yeah. You start with Mayor Robinson, of whom you're a huge admirer. There are other remarkable women in the book. Vicky Phelan, of course, gets a mention, and, and others. One or two stories uh, pricked my memory as well. I'll come to them in, in a minute. But one point I made throughout the, throughout the reading of the book was remarkable women, um, but not in the least bit misandrous. You've great time for many of our men, too, and you write about them. Yeah. I love men. Yeah. Um, it was funny when I was looking back over, you know, the big interviews I did and the, the, the big stories that I did. They were nearly all men. I interviewed, you know, lots of businessmen, politicians, authors, actors, um, poets, writers, um, some of my favourites. But then when I thought about the stories that actually made a huge difference to Mm -hmm. Ireland, they were stories about women, told by women. you mentioned Vicky Phelan there. I I would also think of Christine Buckley, who really broke the kind of omerta about what was happening in orphanages and children's institutions. Lavinia Kerwick, who was a teacher, uh, sorry, as a teenager, was the first rape survivor to go public, That's right. to be publicly identified. Yeah. Um, One story uh, that you brought back, Justine, that I wanted to get to, uh, as I was, I remembered it, and as I read what you'd written, I shivered because I remembered the Kilkenny inquest case. Um, And how you got that story, I'd love you to tell listeners how you got that story. It was good old-fashioned legwork journalism. You stop for a bag of chips. Yeah. Well, like a lot of, you know, the best scoops, they happen by luck. Um, the day that the man in the Kilkenny incest case was sentenced to jail for the uh, physical and sexual abuse of his daughter from when she was age 10, a photographer and myself from the Irish Independent were sent down uh, on a winter's night to find her. All we were told was that she lived in County Kilkenny. We didn't even know her name. So we drove around um, to, from village to village and uh, with no success at all. And eventually we started getting hungry. And um, I went into a chipper to get some chips. And I said to the girl behind the counter, you wouldn't happen to know the woman involved in that case today, would you? And she said, why do you want to know? And I said, I'm a journalist and I'm hoping she'll do an interview with me. So the girl behind the counter said, wait there. And she disappeared and she came back after a while and she said, come with me. And she brought me to this really kind of run down, very depressing looking building. And we climbed the stairs, rickety stairs, right up to the top of the building. And there um, in an attic room was the woman um, and her little boy of then age seven was lying on the bed under a coat. It was a very cold room. And the woman told me that that day her son had found out that his grandfather was his father. 
and um, I I went. It was before uh, computers, so I went to a nearby pub and I phoned in the story to a copy taker in the Irish Independent in Dublin. And uh, then an editor, a, a stand-in duty editor, came on the phone and said he was ordering me to go back to the woman to offer her a specific sum of money uh, to do an on-the-record interview with me, whereby she would, she and her son would be photographed and named. And, um, and you're thinking, my I God, that's never going to happen. You're thinking that, aren't you? Yeah, well, I said it never should happen, but I was told by the editor that this wasn't a request. He was ordering me to do it. So I went back to the woman and I said, I've been ordered to make this offer to you and I'm making it, but I'm advising you not to do it because you'll be forever. You and your son will be forever associated with this. And I I felt despair when she said, I'm going to do the interview come back tomorrow morning and we'll do it. But then she said, I am not taking any money. Um, my son and I will not be photographed and we will not be named. So I went back the next morning and spent about two hours with her and she was incredibly coherent and articulate. Mm. Her uh, grasp of detail of what happened to her was extraordinary. She told me about the many times she had been hospitalised uh, with bruises um, following beatings by her father, the many times she had run away from home and been returned to home by the authorities, um, about the time she had given birth at the age of 15 and confided in a social worker that it was her father's child yeah. and the social worker had told her that was a family matter. Yeah. I know. I, I, I shivered as I read it, Justine, because I recalled it. You, you also write frequently or have written frequently about the North, and I sense you love Northern Ireland and its people of all persuasions, particularly the city of Belfast. Would I be right? I prefer Derry, actually, PJ. Would you? <laughs> I always think Derry is very like... Derry's Port, lovely. I love you know, Derry. The River Valley and the sing-song accent and the friendliness of the mm. people. But yeah, you're right. I do. I do love Northern Ireland. Um, I, I am a United Irelander. I, I think that would be the natural configuration of this island for the benefit of everybody. But I do feel great, I suppose, empathy for the people on both sides and all sides in the troubles. What went on there was absolutely tragic. Um. And I I do feel that the rest of this island tends to ignore a lot of what happens there. Even now, we're kind of complacent about it. We think, you know, it's peaceful now and let everybody get on with it. There's still a lot of problems there. And I suspect that there are huge uh, trauma problems after mm -hmm. the psychological impact of 30 years of violence and injustice there and mm. um, I do feel quite angry about the way the British government treats it, yeah. the way the British government just ignored the impact that Brexit was going to have on Northern yeah. Ireland and the recent passing of the bill that prohibits the um, any new investigations into troubles related yeah. Yeah. 
killings and uh, inquests. And you bring the book right up to date in terms of your columns and your most recent writings. Some of your, there are very few people, are very few individuals for which I sensed dislike, but certainly the golden circle, the so-called golden circle. You write about them a lot. Yeah. Um, I suppose it goes back to justice and injustice. Um, the Golden Circle has been very privileged in this country. Um, it's it's lessening a little bit because of legislative reform, but it's taken an awful long time to do that. And I covered several tribunals, the Mackin Tribunal, mm-hmm. the Moriarty Tribunal, the planning tribunal, I saw members of these golden circles, you know, arriving immaculately and expensively dressed, surrounded by very expensive advisors, um, being quite contemptuous of the system. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking particularly of somebody like Liam Lawler, who was really a a, a backbench uh, government TD, who for no apparent reason was extremely wealthy. And he came into that uh, planning tribunal day after day and I watched him telling blatant untruths. And then it dawned on me, this man has such a sense of self-entitlement that he actually believes that what he's saying is the truth. You know, that was a real kind of epiphany for me. Yeah, I must say, it's a, we're talking about very serious stuff here, Justine, but the book in part is very funny. I laughed out loud at some of your columns, uh, particularly when you decided to recount the menus being had by our leaders and politicians and, and, and all of that. I, I did enjoy that element of it. Um, you love your country, and there's a line there that you, that you use at one point. You say, our country is nicer than our state. With all the things you've seen, and all the things you reported upon, and all the wrongs of the last 30, 40 years, you love your country dearly. I do, and, and it's a kind of egotistical thing in one way. I love it because it's my country. <laughs> um, it's the country I've grown up in and I live in and I feel comfortable in and I understand the culture and the people. And, you know, it's it's not uh, right really to generalise about any country, but I do find there is a lovely warm atmosphere in Ireland that you don't always get in other countries. PJs, while I say I love my country, I didn't always like it very much, mm-hmm. and particularly as a woman. Um, and as a journalist, being threatened by you know, members of the, that golden circle we talked about, repeatedly being threatened with being personally sued for libel, sometimes even only on the basis of questions that I asked. Yeah. Nothing to do that with yeah. you know, what was published. Yeah. But I think Ireland isn't is in a very happy place at the moment. I know it has its awful social problems, homelessness, and I think the way um, immigrants and asylum seekers are being treated is something that will come back to haunt us. And there are a lot of social problems. But by and large, I think the society we have now is much, it's a much more comfortable society to be among. As I was reading, I thought of that love of your country, and I was asking myself a question, has anything ever strained that love or threatened to break it for you? 
oh, day after day. <laughs> um, I'd say the there's a sort of establishment attitude. Um, it, it would be at the upper echelons of the civil service, in the body politic, uh, in the upper strata of business, and I suppose we should call the ruling class, don't answer any questions. Um, there's almost an attitude, how dare people question us. Um, I do get very frustrated with the ineptitude of um, our administrators in creating proper infrastructure in the country. Um, the, the misuse of public money. I could go on and on, PJ. That's the state, as opposed to the people. Yes, yes. The, the, your country is one thing, the state is another. I have a question for you, Justine, and I thought as I was reading, I will put this to you. Of all the people that you have met, and all of those you have interviewed, from the great and the good to the ordinary people, very ordinary people, is there one name that jumps out that you'd give it all up for to interview that person again? Uh, there would be a few people. Um, I would, first of all, it wouldn't be anybody famous or, you know, regarded as successful or rich. Um, I don't find those people as interesting as the people who were forced into the public eye or forced themselves into the public eye in order for the truth to be revealed. And I'm going back to people like... Um, Christine Buckley, mm -hmm. Vicky Phelan, Lavinia Kerwick, the uh, survivors of child sexual abuse, be that, uh, you know, within the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, within the sport of swimming. I did a book on abuse in swimming and some of those men and women I interviewed were the most heroic people I've ever met. Yeah. They went through such uh, trauma themselves to come to terms with what had happened to them and then to be able to talk to a complete stranger about it in order to prevent it being done to other children. I think that is just amazing and it's patriotic and it is the ultimate in, you know, good human goodness. Any of my my listeners... No, Justine, I, I, I like to read, but I mostly read fiction. I read very little non-fiction, but certainly your book, I congratulate you on it. It's the finest Irish book I've read this year. Oh, thank you very much, Peter. I really appreciate that. I really enjoy it. I'm a it. fiction reader myself. <laughs> and, it could, and we've only gone through the, the very tip of the iceberg. It's a great, great piece of writing and a wonderful read. Justine McCarthy, An Eye on Ireland, the book is called Buy It for Anybody for Christmas That You Think knows their history of the last 30, 40 years. And trust me, even if you think you know yours, there's stuff in here you go, my God, I forgot that. Thank you, Justine. 0818969696. John O'Mahony sent in a photo of Justine with Bridie, her nanny, at Bandon Book Signing last year. Bridie is 92. Yeah. And there's a fine photograph. Marvellous. Justine, thank you very much. 0818969696. Book is called An Eye on Ireland. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox 96 FM. 
Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Cork's 96FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm trying to keep up with my correspondence because I remember a politician who served for nearly 30 years and never lost an election. I asked him the secret when he retired. I won't name the man. He's no longer with us, but I still won't name him. Um, And he said, the secret is keep up with your correspondence. You have to keep up with your correspondence. So I thought, right, let's try and do that. On dogs and the regulation of dogs, Laura says, Hi PJ, I love the show. I'm listening to people talking about XL bullies. Well, not all those dogs are vicious. I have two bullies. And no, I'm not a bald man with tattoos. I'm a nurse in CUH. And I wouldn't get rid of my dogs for all the money in, in Ireland. Like everything else, it's how you bring the dog up. Thank you, says Laura. And thank you for everything you do nursing at CUH. And Catherine says the opinion line should be renamed PJ's opinion. Would you like if your favourite breed of dog suddenly became unavailable? People are not born murderers or rapists either. We're all victims of learned behavior. It's a fair point, Catherine. It's an absolutely fair point. I- I'm torn on this. Well, the experts tell me the experts tell me there's no such thing as a dangerous dog. They're trained to be dangerous. I accept what they say, but the statistics don't lie either. If you look at the twenty three fatal dog attacks in Britain in the last three years, twelve of them have involved have involved bullies. You just put all that on the table and that's and that's where it comes from. That's where your view comes from. We had a voice note in, is it from Phil? Hi PJ, sorry I can't come on. There are breeds of dog that can kill, as you say, crush bones. And because of that, they're dangerous. End of story, in my opinion. The fact that they can do such damage quite easily and there is no way it can be predicted. Their temperament can't be predicted from one minute to the next. I honestly think that because of their capability, they're dangerous and that there's no more discussion about it. We will never be able to keep a lid on who gets these dogs, how they train them. That's not something 
that anybody can track or monitor or ensure that it's done properly. While I love dogs, a human life is much more important than the life of any dog. Phil, or, yeah, Phil, thank you. Thank you for that. 0818969696, anything more that you want to say about dogs? You know all the platforms, they're all there for you. The Cork and Kerry Food Market, I mentioned it earlier on. It's on at Cork City Hall, Saturday 4th, Sunday 5th November. That's uh, tomorrow and Sunday. It's a showcase of the very best of artisan and local food. There'll be cookery demonstrations and so many people there showing us, showcasing um, for those of us who need to see and need to be told and those of us who don't, who just want to enjoy it and sample it. The wonderful, world-class food we do in Cork and Kerry not just and I I say that with full confidence world class food that we do in Cork and Kerry so much so that you have to leave it and come back to it to realise just how damn good it is one of the people who'll be there this weekend is Nell McCarthy now Nell you've been you've been in food in in that industry all your life you never intended to be a chef but now you are good morning (laughs) Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Great. And you're not just any old chef. You're working in the Five Star at the Cashel Palace Hotel. How did it all start? Um, I suppose I was. I always found myself in kitchen jobs, but um, I think I kind of had pigeonholed what a chef would be. So I kind of, I kind of um, put my nose up to until I got a placement working in Cashel Palace, and there was a chef there who just. We just widened what a chef could be in all aspects and it, I just was really drawn to that and he just said it's all there for you if you're just willing to go go for it and take it so that's kind of how it started. Yeah. You, you grew up around Roaring Water Bay gorgeous gorgeous part of the world um, and fish is your passion fish and the cooking of fish. Yes um, so I was I was brought on as one of um, Bordish Gawarga's um, ambassadors. So they took five young chefs in Ireland and we went traveling around the Waz Atlantic Way and got to visit different seafood producers. Um, it was amazing to get that backstory and then to properly know how to handle and treat the great produce with such respect. Um, and to get kind of just, yeah, it, it, it means more meeting the people and the love and the work that's already gone into the product before you get it. So it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. You. I love what you say, and I, I'm someone, and my son is even more so. We, we've toured Cork and Kerry, and we've probably sampled fish and chips in 50 different places. <laughs> <laughs> and my son is a connoisseur of the art, I may tell you now. But there's so much more to our fish. When did you, where did you get that, that passion in your blood for our fish, our native fish? I think what actually happened was, so like, as you said, I grew up around Roaring Water and I guess I just saw all this amazing produce and didn't take a second look at it. And then when I went up to Cashel, which is obviously landlocked, and saw that like the fish they were bringing in was like my next door neighbours, like Glenmar um, and Union Hall. So I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I was just like, I really was just overlooking it. So it just just brought me new light to it, I suppose. Yeah, you're there in Cashel and the fish is coming in to be prepared for five star. To, hang on, sure, I was walking past that on on the ferry, on the jetty last week. <laughs> I could smell it in the boxes, says you. <laughs> How? Yeah. yeah, we do world-class stuff, don't we? Yeah, we absolutely do. And um, 
sure like most of so we were working a lot with mussels and oysters and sure we just for some reason don't really have um a taste for them yet but we're getting there like a lot of our produce is getting shipped outwards so um it'd be great if we could like fix that problem from within and get more irish people eating oysters and mussels and that's what i'm demoing sunday anyway is temporary oysters so yeah, yeah. I, I should have mentioned to to, to, to people you're only 20 yes <laughs> this, this is and i'm still in college <laughs> yeah and you're still in college and then you work in so like you initially i think wanted to be a home economics teacher did you Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, and I, I didn't get the point, so I, I, I went for the business and culinary arts program in MTU. Um, honestly, going into it as well, probably looking more towards the business aspect of it. I just didn't really see myself really taking towards the chefing side of it, but that's obviously got flipped on its head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was when it was was it when you went to Cashel that that you realised, hang on, uh, yeah, I can do the books. Or I can do the pens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good analogy of it, I suppose. Um, yeah, it really was. I suppose another part of me just really didn't think. I I for some reason thought like chefs were like this natural ability of like really great with flavors, natural great knife skills and things, and I just never thought I was kind of cut out for it. But I think I really just learned that like it's really more about attitude and willing to work hard in the industry more than anything so to not let kind of thinking you're not ready to take that step or not ready to go for those kind of higher positions because you know it's mm. all about attitude yeah i think your message to people like you 18 19 20 years of age looking for something to do in the world grab what you love and follow it absolutely yeah and and especially in this industry at the moment like like don't settle for anything but something you're happy with. Like I, I'm work I'm working as an intern now down in Daly's in Baltimore, um, two star Michelin, and yeah. I just I over the moon and I, just if I said this to myself a year and a half or two years ago, I just I feel like you're having a laugh. <laughs> so it's crazy how things can change. That's but, a, that's a fine um, fine place down there. Yeah. I I know Baltimore very well. I'm there several times a year. I love Baltimore. and. Uh, for you to, like you said, for you to have decided, okay, I'm going to start cooking the stuff rather than managing the business, <laughs> and here you are in a two-star Michelin restaurant. Like, grab yeah, no, what, I, I absolutely no, I'm delighted. Grab what you love, and and grab it with both hands is what you're saying to people. When can we see you at the, at the, at the event the weekend? Your Sunday is it? Yeah, Sunday three to four. Okay, and you're doing shellfish? Yeah, I'm doing tempered rail to Namara oysters. So, Cork Gal doing, um, t- demonstrating with some Kerry oysters. So, and Do you shuck your own through. oysters? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick demo. And now, I'm not the best. I, I got to go see some world class oyster shuggers. So, they'd put me to shame any day, but I'll do my best. Well, the world champion was on the show with me here only a couple of months ago. He does something oh, like really? 13 in a minute, 30 in a minute or something like that. <laughs> oh, stop. No, it's, it's amazing to see it, yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, Nell, congratulations on the success to date and continued success. I think we'll be hearing your name for many years to come associated with the finest of Irish fish and seafood.
Um, try something other than fish and chips as your message to the restaurants although I am still a lover of it thank you Nell, that's Nell McCarthy she and many others will be at the Cork and Kerry food market Uh, she's on Sunday and the event is Saturday 4th and Sunday 5th of November 2023 and she's only 20 she's only 20, she's interning in a two Michelin star restaurant in Baltimore she has been at the Cashel Palace five star hotel in in Cashel, she's involved in Bordish Guwara, Falcha Ireland, the Chef's Network, and her advice to other people. Who were we talking to yesterday, that young apprentice? Yesterday, young people who find yourself passionate about something, just do it. Just grab it with both hands and do it. And don't be told you can't. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Listen to Corks 96 FM while you work. While you work. Click listen live at 96fm.ie. Right, let's come back to this uh, names with fathers in them. Um, that from yesterday, the state has to recognize your father. Any state body must recognize your father. Uh, so they can't just call you Kieran and not put in your father. They can't call you Sean and not put in your father. They can't call you Orla and not put in your father. And I nearly got myself in trouble yesterday. There was a letter to the Irish Times uh, saying that Orla without the fodder, and I had seen this. There was a letter that said, Orla without the fodder means vomit. It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. Although, uh, the word vomit comes in Irish from the word orlik. Orlik. That's the vomit. Orlik. Not orla. But, sometimes they take off the CH at the end and they put on a TH regionally and they'd pronounce it as Orle. So in Cork it might be Orlik and up the country it might be Orle. And Orle, Orle became Orla, Orla. And that's where that people, that's where that myth came from. So there was, Orla has nothing to do with getting a gawk. Or nothing. Nothing. You're all golden princesses. So you are. That's what Orla means. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with getting a gawk. But I'm, I'm glad I didn't get myself into that trouble yesterday. Uh, 0818969696. And only because I forgot to come back to it. And then we got this voice message. DJ Oshin, O-I-S, I father N, Oshin, because some people call my son Oshin and it freaks him out. But he loves his name being Oshin with the father. Yeah, Oshin with the father. Or as I heard some fella on, was it BBC or someone at British stations anyway, trying to get his head around it. Oshin or Oisin. The the British are a whole with their name. Any name that they come across in Britain, there's going to be one of them around. They're going to have a Kieran somewhere around them. They're going to have, I mean, the Sky Sports guys trying to get their heads around Queeveen Keller. They're still mangling it, like. Uh, and Siobhan's. And, and, uh, and Seamus's. They can't handle Seamus at all. Neave. They can't do Neave. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but the fathers, the father. And as I said yesterday, I have a friend who's Kieran, and he's very particular about being Kieran and not Kieran. Um, and uh, if you drop his father, oh my, big cross man then. 
0818969696. But happy to happy to clarify that there's no connection between Orla and getting the gawk at all. Right. Can we come back to wages and uh, talking this morning again about the minimum wage with Danny, uh, Councillor Danny Collins, the Boston Bar in Bantry and with uh, Mary um, and referring to yesterday when Sarah told us about her daughter, her daughter's 17, working in a supermarket and being paid €8 an hour because that is the reduced minimum wage for a person of 17. Mary was saying it is slave wages. Paul says, my 17-year-old started her first part-time job in a nail salon and they started her on 13.50 an hour. So companies can pay. It's just some of them won't, which is exactly what the SRI figures came up with, that a lot of people do start on the full minimum wage and sometimes even more. PJ, I'm in an electronics factory, 35 years, and they still only pay me 15 euro an hour. So disgrace management think this is acceptable. Uh, now people can start up here on 12.70 from January. Companies are screwing people. Thank you from a frustrated worker. And again, John says, I can't do this, John, for any number of reasons. But John says you should have named the shop where she worked so people can boycott the store. They can well afford to pay proper wages. Minimum pay should be 15 euro an hour. I wouldn't let my son or daughter work for eight euro an hour. They'd be better off on the dole, says John. Fifteen euro an hour, John believes, should be minimum wage. And he wouldn't let his son or daughter of 17 work for eight euro, says they'd be better off on the dole. It's Friday, which means it's time for this. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. This week on Hours to Protect, we hear how hair salons are embracing a greener, more sustainable future for the industry. The hairdressing industry is loved by all but has a big environmental impact. However, a recycling programme is trying to change the way salons impact the environment. Green Salon Collective was founded by environmental experts, hairdressers and eco-campaigners and are the original authority on holistic salon sustainability throughout the UK and Ireland. Lorraine Nocton owns Obi-Wan Salon, a sustainable salon which aims to leave a minimal footprint on the planet. Green Salon Collective, it is probably the easiest initiative any salon can actually start with, we charge two euro green fee on all of our services. So that goes towards the cost of actually sending back our products to be recycled by Green Salon Collective. Also then any profit we make from our green fee goes towards charities. We support a local football team. We support, you know, many different charities every year. So, you know, you're giving back to the community that is looking after you and looking after those who need to be looked after. But it's very easy. Green Salon Collective will send out a box. They'll teach you exactly what to do so easy but it's also a great talking point with your clients and it gets them maybe going home and thinking oh should that go into recycling or should that go into general waste or should I reuse that or should I actually buy that so you're spreading the word and the more we all talk about it the more likely people are to become sustainable and be aware of the damage that we're doing to our planet Every year, salons generate a staggering amount of waste. From hair clippings to used foils, colour tubes and more, the beauty industry's contribution to landfill waste is a cause for concern. The average full-time hairstylist generates 3 kgs of waste each year. After five years, that's an estimated 236 kgs of waste sent to landfill. However, sustainable salons in Ireland are still quite rare. 
once you start telling people, A, it's not difficult, and B, it's not expensive, I think they're the two biggest fears. I don't know where to start. It is going to cost me a fortune. And once you can answer those two questions, people start to get on board. But because salons are struggling at the moment with the, you know, that increase and now the new basic wage going up and the introduction of sick leave and pensions coming up, and you know, people are struggling to survive. So the last thing they want to take on is a new initiative that A, is going to take up more of their time and B, is going to cost them more. So we need to kind of bust those myths and say, no, this is actually going to be good for your business. And I think once people in Salon start to understand that, I think it will grow. But it needs more people to get on board to actually say, yes, this is actually the case. For those who attend sustainable salons, how can they take that sustainability home? Well, they can carry it home by taking hair home and putting it on their plants. Hair is amazing. It's a fantastic fertilizer. It's full of nitrogen. And there was a, a study done that, like, you know, 300 more leaves were produced on a plant when there's hair on the top and the bottom of your compost in, in your plant. I would suggest non-edible plants because obviously some of the hair going home is colouring it. But yeah, it's fantastic fertilizer. Wow. So we send our hair home with our clients. Um, so people buying the right products, obviously, for their hair in respect of, you know, being from a sustainable company, you know, manufacturer, it's in a recyclable packaging and come back and refill those instead of buying new ones all the time. And it's just something that we offer. Um, use less products, less energy, less water, all of those things. Um, and leave in conditioner instead of wash out conditioner and dry shampoo every second day so you're not using, again, at home, hot water energy, which we know costs money. Being a hairdresser who says no to landfill and yes to recycling can have a massive impact on the amount of waste going to landfill and the subsequent greenhouse gas emissions. So where can a salon start? Everybody can do a little bit. Just segregate your recycling properly. Reuse things. Don't necessarily buy new things all the time. I have um, a team that work with me in OB1 and I supply a uniform that's made with sustainable products. Um, but they use, wear them because I don't want to encourage fast fashion. So they're not going out to the likes of the you know, high street stores and buying new clothes for work every day. They're actually wearing their uniforms. So we're reducing fast fashion. Uh, we offer plant milk as well as cow's milk because it takes less water to convert. We have meat free, free Friday. We have plants in the salon to clean the air. Uh, life work balance is really a big part of our sustainability. We look after our team. We are part of an EAP program. They work every second day, have every second weekend off. So it's very important. It's not just sustainability. It's not just about the planet, but it's about people and profit. And it's about being inclusive and and you know looking after everybody. To learn more about sustainability and hair salons, visit Green Salon Collective online or visit the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. And Hours to Protect back next Friday. Thank you, Katie. I'm... Every day is a school day. Uh, I would have had Roberta Flack down as the original of Killing Me Softly, Fergal Barry, he of vast musical knowledge, far more vast than mine, said that Laurie Lieberman, who? Laurie Lieberman did the original of Killing Me Softly. There's something you didn't know when you got up this morning and put milk in your cornflakes. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM.
few things to do, a few things to go back on. I, I promised I would read an email from Mount Oval. I will do that in a moment. But back to minimum wage and the fact that Sarah, who rang us yesterday, very angry about her daughter. Her daughter is 17, working full time, getting paid eight euro an hour by a well-known supermarket. The the law says the supermarket is within its rights because she's only 17. I spoke to Denny, uh, Denny, uh, oh God, Denny Collins, the um, councillor and owner of the Boston Bar in uh, Bantry. He's saying, look, the minimum wage is going up too fast. We know he pay, this is the thing, he pays more than the minimum wage, as do lots of people, but he says it's still going up too fast. Um, and James Joy, uh, a Labour Party activist who I think may well have his name on a ballot paper next summer, I don't know, or next spring. Um, but he sent in a message on it anyway. Here we go. On the uh, sub-minimum rates of pay conversation, look, at the moment, the gap between the working wage and the living wage is at a record high. And for young people, it's a lot worse because of these sub-minimum rates of pay. Uh, I think every worker, despite their age, should be paid at the very least a minimum wage, the minimum wage. And I go one further than that and say they should be paid a living wage. If if a business relies on paying people, young or old, on full-time hours, less than what they need to live a full life, then something is seriously wrong with our economy. Thank you, James. 0818969696. I do want to come back before we finish to the message put up by Team Rev, the organisers of Teenage Discos, because I think it's quite serious. I mentioned it at the very top of the programme this morning, and I will come back to that before we finish out today. And also, I do want to read the email which is hanging over us from Mount Oval. I just didn't get to it, and I apologise. I want, first of all, though, to... Just bring some sad news to you um, that I got myself late last night and I was quite shocked to get it. Um, you may remember, uh, certainly if you don't, those a little older than you will, will remember the case of Michelle McCormick. Michelle was from Mayfield, uh, last seen in Ornahinsha Holiday Park on July the 20th, 1993, 30 years ago for last July. Um, it's one of the most longest-running and most famous missing persons cases in Ireland. Well, um, Michelle had a sister, Donna, Donna Marie, um, and because of working the story over the years uh, and you know talking to the family about what it's like to have somebody missing, her sister Donna Marie and I we became friendly over the years. Um, we've known each other since the story broke and made the news and made the news repeatedly over the years. And I received the very sad news late last night that Donna Marie McCormick, sister of uh, Michelle McCormick, had passed away. And I'm very sorry to hear it. Uh, passed away at her home uh, on the north side of the city. Um, partner of Tom. She was mom of Amy, Natalie, Emily and Dawn, uh, daughter of Kathleen and Joe, both of whom I know, fine, a new, fine, fine people. Um, and her brothers and sisters, Jerry, Willie, Jackie, Adrian, Tony, and of course, uh, Michelle. Uh, she has a grandson, Jaden, and her best friend, who I also knew for many years, Colette. Um, and she was my friend, and I was very, very fond of her. Very fond of her, and I'm sorry, so sorry to hear of the passing of Donna Marie McCormick, the sister of Michelle McCormick, who's been missing now for over 30 years. Very sorry to hear that, and my thoughts with her, with her friends and family. Now, I want to talk to Mike Bowen. 
Mike, your story is interestingly and interesting enough, even as it is. But I didn't know you were the man who invented televoting for the Eurovision Song Contest. Good morning to you. Good morning from Australia. And shall I kindly say good morning to Cork and particularly to the people in Granabraha for where I got my strength and my background from? Yeah, that's where you're from, of course. Um, you've been in Australia now for how long, Mike? <sighs> 49 years. 49 years. But I've been back to Ireland many, many times. Yeah, you were only honoured by the Lord Mayor there a couple of weeks ago, I see. I was indeed. What an absolutely gem he is as a man. What a, what a wonderful um, knowledge and, uh, I guess, insight into everything. Cork has got a brilliant mind on the history and and his, uh, his understanding of the situation there. I was massively impressed by him. You've brought out a book of your own story called "A Time of Secrets." It's interesting. You grew up. Yeah. You grew up uh, a young young man. You had very little going on in your life. You were a, you were a very poor background, hadn't you? Oh yes, but uh, in a way, is when people talk about their poor background, that's only the start of the story. It's not where you start; it's where you finish up. It's important, and therefore, that gives you the strength. To move on, and um, I'm very, very grateful because you know I only spent about four and a half years in school. I'm dyslexic. I left school and I couldn't read and write. Mm. And but then that gives you strength because you know you you end up like a lot of people disadvantaged. But again, you get strength from that. And the fact is, you're not prepared to be um, to be in the to, to to live in the position that you are in. You know, I think when God created. Um, Man, he didn't say it was for any particular group of people. You know, you've got to go out there and put your hand out and take your slice of the cake. It's not just for the greedy. It's there for everyone. But I think part of the problem in, in a lot of cases, we're very modest. We tend to stand back and we we sort of stick to our stations that we were in. Uh, there's nothing wrong with venturing out. It just uh, helps you uh, grow your knowledge and um it's a whole new world out there. Um, one doesn't have to live in a cocoon. Mm, you grew up in Gran. You still Indeed. love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I usually go back. I spend a lot of time there. Um, Cork is a great place to be inspired by. I'm in awe of, you know, um, each time I go back, I see new friends and new people. And I did some work, one of the great groups that I did some work with, um, out of the blues, uh, gone back about four years ago, were um, a group of lads at um, Uni- Unity Media. They did an absolutely brilliant video for a song that I did for the World Cup um, in Japan, the rugby. These that. guys, you know, they were a little bit in the unknown, which is a bit of a shame because guys like that, they're um, they're, they're priceless. They're, they're hidden gems, yeah. as is, as is. Um, you know, Katrina and the people at Penny Dinners. Yeah. I'm in awe. Yeah, big, big hero of yours. Um, come to me and about... By God, m- did, they, did they do it? Music and songwriting um, was one thing. Yep. But I'm intrigued because I'm a Eurovision Song Contest fan all my yep. life. I've been to it four or five times. Yep. It's changed so much over yep. the years and still we love it. You invented the televoting. Yep. Tell me that story. Yes. Well, big, well, look, I in uh, going back in um, 
Well, it's it started off, look, I guess I got a bit of a chip in my shoulder. They wouldn't let me join the school band at the, the, the North Cathedral School. And they told me I was torn deaf, so I decided, well, bugger that. Nobody's going to tell me that I can't do anything. So I started writing writing songs, and I sort of became very, very interested in the music industry. Um, came to Australia and started writing and, uh, and a lot of music as well. A fair bit of it's been recorded. And um, I got the position of president of the Australian Songwriters Association. Went back to Ireland spent three months researching Eurovision. I did a song for the National Song Contest some years back, and they wouldn't allow the singer that I picked. It was a guy by the name of Peter Williams. You might remember to anyone around my age, there was a song called The Pushbike Song, which the mixtures did, and Peter was the singer. But they wouldn't, wouldn't, Ireland wouldn't allow him, or or they wouldn't allow him to be, represent this in, in, in the National Song Contest which was rather sad because uh, we got a local lad in Dublin, Fran Meehan, did a brilliant job. And when I did my research, gone back and I discovered they wouldn't let him there because, oh, he didn't, he wasn't Irish. Do you know that uh, Ireland's won Eurovision seven times? Yeah. Three times it was won by an Australian, Johnny Logan, born just down the road from where I am here. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. An Australian. I'd okay. That, Mike. Celine Dion did not sing for her own country. Vicky Leandros did not sing for her own. They all, they all represented yeah. a different country. So, so there you are. And chip, so why chip, wasn't Australian? Chip, chip on shoulder. So, so how did you come from that to invent to inventing the, the, the voting system? And I think, were you responsible for getting Australia well, into the, con- the contest as well? Well... well well, they, they, you know, we've been on the outer side for such a long time, but what, I guess what look what the average individual doesn't understand. You know, look, the uh, Irish government give money to RTE, RTE give money to the EBU. In Australia, the government give money to people like SBS, SBS give money to the EBU as well. And, you know, we are part or contributors to the European Broadcasting Union, as is Israel, by the way. Israel is not in Europe, but it qualified, so why not Australia? So the the wall was coming down, uh, the world was expanding, and why couldn't, you know, Eurovision was an old tired dog. It needed revamping, it needed to go global. So well, I spent my three months in Ireland, did my research, went, knocked at the door, and told them if they didn't knock down the dossier, there would be no more Eurovision. <laughs> so the lad that was looking after Tom's guy by the name of Christian Clausen, yeah. Danish producer. I've met him. I've met him. And um, yeah, yeah, lovely man. So um, so we went to Geneva. I gave it to him and um, had a look at it and um, asked me where where did I get this dossier. I told him I was frantic on research. And I said, if you don't act on it, there'll be no more Eurovision. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so we went down to Lake Geneva the next morning had breakfast, he came down with a bottle of champagne from my, my business partner and I and said, okay, gentlemen, you just saved your revision. It's going to change forever. And and it, and it has, unfortunately, to a point where and we can't is. seem to win and it anymore. It's, it's three times, ten times bigger now than it ever was. We've yeah. now got the juniors, it's over days. Right. But, you know, it couldn't live on what it was because the whole world was changing. Any, any chance, any chance Mike, that there. you could write a song that we might win it with? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think RT would want me there with my with my tone. I've already 
I've already crossed swords with them, Liam Miller and and uh, Bob Collins oh, over the years. God, you're mentioning and, big uh, names now. I think they don't they don't like being told <laughs> what what what's happening, and and I'm not one of those to sort of sit back and just accept pantering. Well, I have to say, if you what want they, to change it, sure, I'll come and I'll change it. What they've done, what they've done in the last few years. I and as I said, a fan. I wasn't a fan of televoting. Yeah. Until a few years ago, yep. when they started adding the juries and the public vote back in together again, yep. and it can cause yep. anything. It's great, and and well done. I'm just thrilled to speak with you, the man who invented televoting for Eurovision, a fellow from Gran. I, I would never have <laughs> believed it, Mike. I would never oh, have believed look, we've it. Look, we've had absolutely amazing people who come from Cork. You know, um, uh, Napoleon's doctor came from Cork. Um, you know, the, the guy that uh, wrote the Japanese national anthem came from Cork. So Roy Keane came from Cork. Pat Falvey's climbed the mountains. He's dyslexic like myself. It was so amazing people, you know, that came out of Cork. Yeah, the including, including your that, good that self. not aware of. Including your good self. A Time of Secrets is Mike Bowen's new book, How He Made It Big in Australia. A fellow from Cork's north side who couldn't read and write and... Delighted to speak with you, Mike. And the next time you're, you're, you're back in town... I think we have to try and get him to write a song for the Eurovision. Well done. Thank you, Mike. 0818969696. Another outstanding Corkman making his way in the world. Next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The on Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. In 2020. At the European Masters, he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan 5-4 and rose to prominence immediately. People said, who the heck is this young fella? He got to the last 16 there. He's since beaten uh, Karen Wilson the other night. He beat Ken Doherty to qualify for the Scottish Open. A couple of weeks ago, he was in the quarterfinals of the Wuhan Open and made the last 16 of the Northern Ireland Open. And there's 169 days to the Crucible, and we're hoping that he'll be there too. Aaron Hill, good morning, sir. Good morning, PJ. Thanks it's fly, it's flying for you. I was, I was so sorry for you watching Lizowski. It just didn't, just didn't click for you on the night. But listen, you're on telly. You're in the last 16 of a big event. And you're into the Scottish Open now. When will you be playing and who will you play? Um, I'm actually playing Jack Lizowski again, I think, in the <laughs> Scottish Open. Um, so I'll be, out, I'll be out for a quick revenge straight away. But, yeah. Uh, it's in December, so... Yes. Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, he uh, he started well against me last week, and the start is big in those yeah. games. You know, yeah, they're TV so and... short though. Best of seven is sure. That's only a half session. Yeah, That's... yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I was tuning down before I got in the balls really, so I was kind of under it then straight away. But um, that was a great experience. Um, another, mm. you know, another bit of experience on the TV table and getting to a later stage of an event. So yeah, lost. I... I mean, good stead going forward. I must say, uh, when I was watching it on the telly and I saw the, the, the Singleton's super value 
on, on your chest. I thought, God, we've arrived, Cork. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a proper Nari me, boy. Um, yeah, Tommy's been great to me over the years, and uh, it's uh, it's an honour to honour to wear single and super value on my waistcoat every time I go out. It's hard, isn't it, Aaron, to get into that sort of elite end end of the sport. You've got to qualify, and you've got to try and get in. You've got to, every time you get on television. As I said to you last week in a Facebook message, any time you can break into the last sixteen of a big event, that's a big week. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you're doing the right things, uh, you're going in the right direction if you're making those stages. Um, as you said, it's tough to get there, but you know, I'm still young and I'm, uh, I'm definitely heading the right de- direction for it. So, you know, I believe I believe I will be there someday and um, hopefully when I'm there, you know, I'll, be, I'll be there for a long time. Yeah, you beat Ken the other night uh, for, for one. Look, Ken's a, fi- a fine, fine player and I, he's been a bit, a bit of a mentor to you too, hasn't he? Yeah, it's actually funny enough. Um, I was staying with him last week in Sheffield during the Northern Irish qualifiers, and the draw for the Scottish came out. And we were staying together, and so we saw the draw. We were playing each other. It was a disaster. I, I had to book into a hotel that night. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lovely fella, isn't he? He's a, he's a gent of the game. Uh, yeah. No, I'm only joking. Um, we still we still went there for dinner that night, and uh, after it's only a game. There's more things important, you know. So. Uh, uh, there was no hard feelings. Yeah. What can you do? Is just you have to do a job at the end of the day. Let me get you back on a better line, Aaron. I want to chat a little bit about uh, where the, where the game goes for you in twenty twenty four. Let me just call you back a little bit there on a, on a better phone line. He's back with you there, guys. Um, I'm chatting with Aaron Hill, Cork's uh, snooker sensation, um, who is doing so well. The last couple of weeks, he's been in the quarterfinals of the Wuhan in China, uh, last 16 at the Northern Ireland Open. He has qualified to play in the Scottish Open, where he thinks that the man who put him out of the Northern Ireland Open, who's Jack Lazowski, he thinks he'd be playing him again, which is a revenge. And, of course, he was uh, beat uh, Ken Doherty uh, the, the other night. Um, I think he's back, is he, guys? Back on two? Thank you. Aaron, yeah, this might be a, a, sl- a slightly better line. So looking into 2024, uh, with 24 weeks, 169 days, 24 weeks tomorrow is the, is, is the opening day of the crucible, the crucible. So six big months ahead for you, young man. Yeah, of course. Um, I still have a lot to play for as well before the crucible comes. So oh, I know. All, my fo- all my focus will be on that at the moment. But uh, when the time comes, uh, there's no, there's no better buzz than playing in those qualifiers in Sheffield. Um, with the goal of qualifying for the crucible. So when that time comes, I'll be ready for it, and hopefully, hopefully it'll be my week. You know, it'll be yeah. great to get to the crucible. The line isn't great, unfortunately, Aaron. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to wind up with you there. I'm going to wish you best coming back uh, to Northern. Where, where are you this week now? Northern Ireland is now. You said in De- or Scotland's in December. Where are you this week? I'm off this week. No, I'm off till uh, the 21st of November okay. for the UK Championships. Okay, okay, and by qualifying it, and w- it's as you get from more. Uh, lastly, you get to more last 32s. You get to more last 16s. Your, your ranking goes up and there's less qualifying involved. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, when you get into the higher ranking, you've less rounds to qualify for the big events. So yeah. for the World Championships, as we speak, I'll only have three matches to qualify instead of four. Wow. And if I keep jump, if I keep jumping till that time comes, I might only have two games to qualify. Oh, wow. So a couple more. I, I forgot that. The rankings, of course, 
continue all year round and they make the World Championship draw based on your ranking at the start. So a couple more last 16s, a couple more quarterfinals, maybe even go a bit further. It would, that might be an easier route into the Crucible. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Uh, that be the plan. All right. Well, listen, young man, I said to you a couple of years ago, um, on our belong to you, I, I, I truly do believe that we will see you one day, not just in the Crucible, but on a single table there, which, as every snooker fan knows, is that's the holy grail. I do believe one day we will see you there. Uh, we'll talk again on a better line, maybe even in studio someday. But to Aaron Hill, Cork's snooker sensation. Um, brilliant. Fantastic, young fella. And delighted to have him on the show. Making great strides in the world of professional snooker. I, I just get a sense in me water. And we've had some great snooker players out of Cork. It's uh, one or two others as well at the moment. But certainly Aaron Hill is the biggest sensation we've had in snooker in Cork in quite a number of years. And looking forward to him doing great things in 2024. Thank you, Aaron. We'll talk again. Aiton says, we're on the ball with Killing Me Softly. Uh, ever listen to Sinatra's version? I did not. Must do that this afternoon. Sinatra drink killing me softly. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Uh, here's one for you. Now the Ashton Murphy murder trial is is ongoing, um, and uh, he has taken the witness box in his own defence, which he's entitled to do. I speak of the the man accused. Um, but Beener, thanks Beener. Beener is a bit concerned about the media ads for coverage of the trial. It's like Ashling's murder is a product being advertised. So media can make up making cash out of it. Am I missing something? Yeah, it happens with big trials like that. Beaner, love the name. It happens at big trials like that. They become headline news. They become front page stories. And heading into the weekend, people will advertise, newspapers will advertise what they have in the paper. Uh, but yeah, it's a good point. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. I'm staying with sport after the break. Um, Cove Ramblers have their biggest game in years this weekend. And I have still more stuff to catch up on. It's just one of those Fridays. But we're going to Cove Ramblers next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. We touched on this after the uh, No Guard of Honour controversy. Controversy, me. Um, at the weekend. <laughs> Cork City versus uh, Rovers. Remember that? We, we, we discussed that on Tuesday? Tuesday. Um... But this game was mentioned in the course of that discussion with, 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 with Trevor Welsh. Cove Ramblers have their biggest game in years. In years. Biggest game in 10 years. Easy. Uh, they play Waterford United at Turners Cross Saturday, tomorrow, at 5 o'clock. It's the first division playoff final. And the winner of that game will be playing Cork City the following week. And the winner of that game will play Premier Division football in 2024. Uh, it could be a battle of Cork to see who plays Premier and who plays first in 2024. Joined by Chairman of Cove Ramblers, Bill O'Leary. Anticipation is high, Bill. Morning. Hi, hi PJ. Yeah, no, anticipation is very high. We're, we're so excited here. We're looking forward to it. It's the biggest game in years. You summed it up very well there. Um I think, look, it's testament to the great work we've done as a, as a club, right? We're a unified club. 
no one is more important than anybody else. Um, we have a great culture there of unity and belief and positivity, and we defy the odds, right? So we're up there, we're playing against Waterford tomorrow night, a mm. club much bigger than us, bigger budget, full-time club, and we're up there and we have a great opportunity. We beat Waterford in the last two occasions, so mm-hmm. let's, let's make it three in a row. Yeah. At the start of the season, people might have said if you'd pull sixth or seventh out of it, you'd be doing well. But yeah. you're third. Like, it's been third. a and, and fantastic job Shane Keegan and the players have done. Absolutely. Absolutely, PJ. Now, I think, you know, as a board, it's, it's, it's important that we make all the, you know, make all the prudent decisions that are need to be made financially and otherwise. And we've done that. And we got to a position where I think we steady the ship financially. We're one of the few clubs in League of Ireland that isn't running a year on year loss. And, 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 and we did that with, 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 you know, being cognizant of everything that we need to do and, and, and we, over a number of years and we kind of steadied the ship. And then we're in a position last year to give Shane some increased money. And we went out and, um, and purchased and brought in some really, really great players. The likes of Jack Doherty and Wilson Guerrero and some, and combined that then with some homegrown talent and Jason Abbott and Brendan Frail. And you were mixed, you were really magical mixed then, PJ. Um, and you know, we're, we're, one, we're all one, right? So, um, we're all, we're, I suppose we're, we're unified in so many ways between on the pitch and off the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's more important than anyone else. And we have a really top class manager in Shane who was with Dundalk and Galway United. So we've, we picked a gem there. Mm. Isn't it a pity though that, you know, sh- should you beat Waterford, I sincerely hope that you do, that it's a cork derby for mm. the Slan Lat Cup, as they call it sometimes. Yeah, and you know what? It's the cork. It's the cork derby for the wrong reasons in many ways. Like yeah. it, it, it wouldn't give us any great joy to to be responsible for putting, uh, you know, Cork City into the first division. So, so I mean, Cork is a great sporting county, great sporting city, and we should really both be up there, right? So, yeah. um, but I mean, we're we're not responsible for for this. Oh no, for, no, no, for, no! For I'm just saying that I, I remember the days of the local derbies. Yeah, do you know, and how great uh, they yeah. were, and and Absolutely. it's 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 sad in a way that there is a local derby for for someone have to go up and someone have to go down, but but it, every, there's great there'll be great excitement. Which oh, there'll be great where, excitement. Where will it be and played? Yeah, to be played properly in Waterford, like we don't know yet. PJ will be, have to be confirmed by the FAI. But look, we'd, we'd ask our Cork brethren and our Cork brothers to come out tomorrow and support us. You know, and we're all kind of, uh, we're great champions of sport here in Cork. And, you know, I, like I wouldn't get too despondent about the difficulties Cork City have at the moment. You have to remember football is cyclical. You know, you can only see that with the Premiership at the moment and some of the big clubs having real challenges. Um, so I, I think, you know, they'll come back. But but we have to look after our, our own do. patch and, and, and drive on, you know. Yeah, and drive on and drive on with our support, of course, as proud media partners Absolutely. for the last number of years. And, and thank and, you so much. And, and, and great to see. Yeah. Uh, I was joking with, with Trevor the other day. It's a long time since Cove Ramblers was known as the Elephant's Graveyard. It's an awful long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, but you know what? We're not far behind. We're, like that, that might be coming back, PJ. I mean, if you look at our home form this year, we've played 19 games. Just to give you some insight into how well we've done. Yeah. We've played 19 games. We've lost two. Absolutely yeah, that's some record. Some record, yeah. I had that stat down here and Damien yeah. Sheenan gave me that stat. That's some stat. Fairness. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. wonderful. Listen, wish you well tomorrow. Wish you well uh, in, in the final when it comes or the, the um, promotion relegation playoff final when it comes. But uh, great, Bill. Uh, good Thanks, good luck to you. It's been a long time since I was in St. Coleman's Park. I must get down for a game uh, sometime soon. But uh, I do remember one thing. It's a, cold, Thanks, it's a cold place in the winter, Bill. <laughs> We look after you, PJ, like we do with Trevor. Thank you so much. Cheers, fella. Thanks a lot. That's Bill O'Leary, chairman of Cove Ramblers. They play Waterford United tomorrow at Tornish Cross at five. First division playoff final.
I, I'm, I, I used that expression there, and it reminded me of um, our great friend, who we sadly lost early this year. Uh, I speak of Paddy Palmer. It was Paddy Palmer, I think, um, a long time ago in a GAA commentary box somewhere. I don't know where, but he coined the expression for these, you know, these relegation playoffs or promotion relegation playoffs. He coined the term the Slán Lat Cup. He got in trouble for it. He got in trouble for it. But I, I, I think it's brilliant and I love it. And I love using that expression in, in, with, with, with the best of, with the best of, of will intended. Um, but it's awful. It will be awful to see Cork City versus Grove Lambers as it will most likely turn out. I have every confidence in the beat Waterford again. Uh, to see Cork City and Cove Ramblers competing for the Slanlet Cup will be a sad day, but one of them has to go up and one of them will have to go down. Thank you for that, Bill. 0818969696. And our thoughts again with, I don't want to tuning into the Nemo, Nemo's um, county final. We were beaten by the Haven last weekend. And the one thing that was missing from that coverage, the one thing that was missing was Paddy's voice. And to hear Nemo winning a county or, or, or competing in a county final, they were beaten in it, of course, but to hear Nemo, or indeed to hear a county football final without the voice of Paddy Palmer was, was a new one on us and, and one we never one we never hoped or never expected to see quite so quickly. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Beyonce singing at her daughter's school as part of a fundraiser. She's got her dancers with her. Uh, She's in the glitter. Uh, I think the only thing thing she doesn't have (laughs) is the wind machine. They were having a fundraiser. And Beyonce's allowed to sing at it. Beyonce turns up and she's singing on stage. Can you imagine being one of the other parents that's just brought buns? Yeah, imagine being, I heard Beyonce was bringing lemonade. Where is this? They're like, no, the album lemonade, live. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. With no DC cars, the place to order your 2024 Skoda. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Open 24-7 at nodc.com. Okay, I've been promising to read this all morning and it is something I'm happy to come back to after the weekend. Um, it's to do with Mount Oval and the arrest of four teenagers Halloween night after Pilimaloo up there. Hi PJ, on Tuesday evening I drove out of Mount Oval at a quarter to ten. Uh, turned left to drive down Clark's Hill to Rochestown Road. There was a, a number of very drunk boys urinating against the wall. They were staggering around. Halfway down the hill a car in front of me had to swerve to the wrong side of the road to avoid knocking down a number of teenagers. They were standing on the main road outside the Clark's Wood entrance. About 80 of them, all standing on the grass next to the bus stop. About three quarters of an hour later, I came back. There was a very drunk girl lying down on her own on the grass. I parked my car further up, came back to see if she was okay. She wasn't. There was two other very drunk teenagers who said they were 16, but they were only about 14 or 15. They were sitting on a muddy curb right near the bus stop. Their legs were stretched out into the road. 
I said to them a car could drive over their legs, mightn't see them in the dark. They didn't seem to care. They told me they were from Ballinlock and they'd attended a drinks party in Mount Oval. I was up in the square at 10 o'clock. The security guards there had about 40 to 50 teenagers rounded up in one large group trying to get them out. There was carloads of teenagers dropped and collected from Mount Oval Tuesday night. It's not acceptable. Parents need to take responsibility and keep their children under adequate supervision. That's from a person who signed themselves a concerned Mount Oval resident. They give us her name, but they probably didn't use it. That was someone's account for Tuesday night. Uh, happy to come back to that. Also tonight, if you have youngsters going to teenage discos, I mentioned this uh, at the start of the show at nine. Team Rev, who run great teenage events, they're warning people of the change in the law that they mightn't be aware of. Please let your teenagers know if they're going to teenage discos and people are kissing and snogging as they do, don't be tempted for a second to take video and share it, Snapchat, WhatsApp, whatever. That is now a criminal offence and people mightn't know it. But under the new law passed in the last few months, it is now a criminal offence to record people without their consent doing something like kissing and sharing it anywhere. And you'll end up down the gather station. Your teenagers will. So well worth mentioning that. We had a couple of responses to it. Anne says, I've always been very happy knowing my child was safe at a disco. I've spoken to them and warned them about doing anything like this. It includes something that could be filmed or then filming someone else. It's a parent's job to make sure they know what's what, nobody else's. And that's true, Annie. That's true. That's true. Please tell your children not to be doing this. It is a criminal offence now to do that, to share a video or even have a video of someone doing something intimate like that. And Bobby says, personally, I think it's quite normal for kids to be kissing at their age. Don't agree with people posting videos without consent, but many will just do it for the fun and to live their lives but they shouldn't do it. It shouldn't be posted on the internet without consent. Thanks to Jamie and all the Rev team for the work they do. Their venues are great, the price for tickets are reasonable and the best security. And I feel all children going to discos are perfectly safe. Bobby, you've, you're right on so many levels. It's the most natural thing in the world for teenagers at a disco to lob the gob. It is, absolutely. Abs- the first, one of the first sports many of them learn is tonsil tennis. But that's okay. We all did it. We're hypocrites if we said we didn't. But filming them or taking pictures and sharing them, even having them or threatening to share them, is a criminal offence. And talk to your kids. Thanks, Bobby. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Glenn Williamson, we've talked before uh, from Blind Date UK fame and First Dates Ireland. You're going for Mr. Ireland now, sir. Morning. (laughs) Morning, PJ. How are you? Yes, I am. Good, good, good. When can we see this and where? Okay, so the Miss Ireland competition and Miss Ireland is is on tomorrow night in uh, Crown Plaza in Dublin, but it'll be live streamed on Facebook anyway on the Miss Ireland Facebook page. Okay. Uh, there'll obviously be lots of professional photographers and content done for after, but it'll be live streamed on Facebook, PJ. Okay, how many of you are taking part? So there's ten finalists in the lads, and I'm representing Cork. So I got the Mister Cork title from uh, doing some different kind of shows and competitions during the year. And there's actually about 30 women <laughs> representing most counties in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be a huge, huge final tomorrow. Really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And after all the preparations. <laughs> sure. You work as a life coach and a model. 
yeah, so in the last couple of months, I made the chain from salesperson most of my life to becoming an accredited life coach. So I'm passionate about helping younger individuals achieve confidence, good mental health, and proper health and fitness practices. And then I've paired that with the modeling, and it's gone very successful for me. So I hope then to bring that into the final, and uh, hopefully, if I was to win, you know, empower others. Yeah. With, with, with what you do, confidence is important. And a lot of young lads, I'd say, and young girls, but a lot of young lads and young girls are lacking confidence. Even though they've nothing to lack confidence about, they lack confidence. I, how, how do you help them? I, I totally agree, PJ. Uh, what you're saying is correct. And uh, like what it is, a lot of times people are comparing themselves to other people on social media. But everyone's on their own clock. You know, some person become a celebrity at 15, some person become a billionaire at 44. Everyone's on their own clock, so they just must focus on what they're doing themselves, compare themselves to maybe last year, yesterday, small improvements every day, better mental health practices. And again, it's just social media. It's just not comparing yourself to others. And I would suggest, and a big thing I say is to unfollow pages that even if you think they're motivating you, if they make you feel less motivated, make you feel less good, unfollow them, block them out. There's a great saying a friend of mine who the coach uses, in this moment, at this time, on this day, you are enough. And that that, that speaks a thousand words. Be more present. People are comparing themselves to the past and the future, PJ. You need to be present in the current moment. Take a deep breath and enjoy the present because... And life doesn't stop for anyone. <laughs> and the, and the, pattern, the, the future isn't guaranteed to any of us. So be be yourself now. Now you've got you you've you've got a part in this thing tomorrow night. This one of the rounds is you got to wear your own your own clover. Can you tell us what you're going to wear? Yeah. Uh, that should be a bit of a surprise, like. But um, I'm working with some local brands. There is a couple of rounds. Yeah, there's a swimwear round. So I'll oh, you're going on on tugs. Oh yeah, talking out and all, PJ. Speedos, like no, <laughs> uh, no, the Borat Mankini. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> God, please! Um, Did you see so, the video so, from the Rugby World Cup with the fed of the Mankini and what went wrong? <clears throat> I did, of course. <laughs> Everyone saw that. Well, hopefully now that won't happen. But, uh, there's this. There's the swimwear round. There's the evening wear round. So that's a beautiful tuxedo, uh, and then you have your own look. So you, you know, you put together your own look, something that shows your personality. And it was paired then with prejudging and interviews, talking about, you know, today's modern issues and, you know, positively impacting the world and things like that. So, again, really looking forward to PJ tomorrow. Okay. It's live streamed on Facebook on the Miss Ireland page. On the Miss Ireland page, yeah. And, um, yeah, so if you're crowned Mr. and Miss Ireland, then you go through to the Mr. World competition and you'll represent Ireland on the world stage and that's like a two week boot camp as far as I'm sure it's in the Philippines early Ooh. next year so uh, again, you'd, like, you'd love that wouldn't you that would be great you know for a first representing Cork and then your country and something really really cool like that so and I'd be have a, a good positive mental impact on like any of my clients or people I'd be coaching going forward okay. well by the way we, we can vote for you I'm just seeing here now uh, yeah, you can. So you can do the, the People's Choice Award. So it's the Choicely app. But again, if you want to go to the App Store on uh, the iOS, uh, if you have Apple or Android, Google Play Store, you can download the Miss Ireland app and you can vote for, for me in it. And that would obviously be much appreciated. That's something you can do for free. Anyone can do it and uh, get behind me. Any any Corkonians. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, the very, very best of luck with it, uh, Glenn. Um, Glenn Williamson, a finalist in Mr. Ireland,
uh, tomorrow night. Um, live streamed on Facebook at 7.30. You can download the app if you want to vote for him. Grand lad. Grand young fella. And a life coach and a nice positive fella. Um, no, he won't be in the budgie smugglers. No, he won't. He'd be much more tastefully dressed than that. Thanks, Glenn, and the best of luck. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, can I mention as well, well done and congratulations to Dara Fleming, who's been on this show with me a number of times. A young writer, um, author and mental health advocate. Dara Fleming spoke, and I believe spoke brilliantly. I haven't seen it yet, but spoke brilliantly at a TEDx in the West of Ireland yesterday. So congratulations to him for that. As always, I'm out of time. And there's still so much things left to do. But I think we've just about ticked every box that we needed to tick today. If we haven't, we'll take them all up again the next day. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. We'll put all your podcasts up in the afternoon. Have a good weekend. Enjoy. I'll talk to you Monday, just after nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.